Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. We certainly do. Welcome to episode 153 of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. I'm the Sarah in this equation, Sarah D. Bunting, and I am here, as always, with my co-host, Mark Blankenship. Hello, Mark. Speaking of equations, E equals Mark C squared? (laughs) Or uh, Linda C squared. Uh, Mark, we're talking about an artist that I am actually... Much as in the last episode, a little surprised that we haven't gotten around to um, as her own topic. Please tell the listeners more. Oh my gosh, we are at long last talking about Linda Ronstadt. And Sarah, I know that we have spoken many times before about music that our parents listened to. My dad was and is such a huge Linda Ronstadt fan that many of her songs are just baked into my brain and soul. But I also then in college became my own Linda Ronstadt fan. Like I started re-listening to her with more specificity and attention and have honestly been obsessed with her ever since and yet keep finding Linda Ronstadt songs that I didn't know. And that happened to me in July of 2019 and that's what precipitated this entire episode. So there was a particular song that I just heard for the first time and loved and it was so different from the Linda Ronstadt songs that I knew that I wanted to discuss it. And then when I brought this up to you, you suggested that we could also talk about the song When Will I Be Loved, uh, which was one of Linda Ronstadt's uh, earliest big hits. Uh, It reached number two on the Hot 100. And I thought, well, shit, yes. So get ready for a smorgasbord of Linda Ronstadt songs, starting, though, with When Will I Be Loved? And Sarah, what was it for you that made this one one that you wanted to discuss? Um, Because it was everywhere when I was a tiny child. Um, I think it I think it was 77 or 78 when this charted. It might have been later. Uh, Hold on. If I will look it up. All right. Um, In any case, this song was everywhere. It was the Christopher Cross's sailing of its day and possibly also of sailings day. Um, but Linda Ronstadt generally, um, uh, kind of missed me. Like I, you know, I had no kick as we like to say with uh, yes. Linda and her work. And when I was reading that book, whose name I always forget, um, about all the artists of Laurel Canyon in the seventies, mm-hmm. I gained a ton of respect for her because she was always like, she was always in it. And she had such a, um, she had such fidelity to her own ideas about songwriting and song interpretation. And she could really, um, wear a heavy seventies bang and a pair of silver hoops. Ooh, yes, she could. What a beauty. Um, not that, you know, not that it matters, blah, blah, blah. But you know, she, she looked the part, she looked cool. Um, but when will I be loved? Um, was annoying like that song was annoying i never liked it even as a little kid and (gasps) it got a shit ton of play because it's two minutes long so they could just spin it like twice an hour on pop radio and they did and i still do not particularly enjoy it but i wanted to talk about it because i think it's an 
I think it's such an interesting uh, song for her to have had such a big hit with for a bunch of reasons. Do you want to tell us when it charted or shall I just play the clip? I mean, I think you've, I think I'm dead, but let me, let me resurrect myself and say that, yes, it was the second single from her massively successful Heart Like a Wheel album. Uh, and it was in 1975 that it reached number two. Okay. Immediately after she reached number one with her cover of You're No Good. I mean, that song is great, but y- like, you have to understand the ubiquity of this. And especially when you're like basically a toddler and you have no control over what you're listening to. Like, it just was everywhere. And there's something about the harmonies that is not particularly pleasant to me. Let's hear a clip and then we can discuss. Yeah, this is a hard pass for me. I'm sorry. It's like oh listening to a fucking buffalo wing. I don't, and I, ju- <laughs> I don't. What does that mean? <laughs> it's like listening to a buffalo wing with like the orange sauce on. Yes, <laughs> it is. And here's here's what's interesting to me about it, though. Like, I am not sitting here <laughs> positing that this song is bad. I'm just saying I can't with it anymore that's fine yeah and here's what's interesting to me though and what i'm more excited to dig into is that this was a this was a monster hit when first of all it doesn't seem particularly typical of ronstadt products like i don't think it necessarily shows well what she does best um it seems often like she's fighting with the arrangement. Like there's enough vibrato that's like conflicting with the like twangy arrangement that I'm like, I'm not, I'm not sure this was your take. You you might've wanted to go back and sing it straighter. The harmonies are almost drowning her out. A lot of the time, that's where the Buffalo wing part comes in. The bridge is like at least two fifths of the song. So that's kind of a who cares her from a Ronstadt <laughs> standpoint. Like it just takes up a lot of acreage. It, I don't know. It's like, it's weird. Is this like that Ronstadt for people who don't like Ronstadt? Like I just don't. Wow. It's, it's interesting that this was the, this huge of a hit to me. Wow. So what and for I, you I never would, need to hear it again. I'll I'll tell you that for free. What for you would be the quintessential Ronstadt song or songs? Um, you're no good. Um, mm-hmm. Brilliant. The some of the stuff she did with her old whatever new Linda Minstrels group before Stone Ponies. Yes. 
before she was like a diff- different drum and what yeah. that that strikes me as much more um like it, not so much like her struggling against arrangements but like it, that she's that her interpretations are more um evident i guess it's hard to explain I mean, she has a she has a beautiful voice. Like, I'm not going to cross the street to kick her in the shins because I had to. This song was in every room I was in for eight months. That's not her fault. I mean, I guess it is. Whatever. Um, but I just think that something a little less. This does seem a little bit built, and not necessarily for, and not necessarily for her. If that makes any wow. sense, like she's like I, challenging herself, and it's like, okay, I sang a country song, like, but you, you no, like, <laughs> I, 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 I have to say, this is one of the times that we have disagreed the most, perhaps in the history of this show. I love it. I love that. That makes life rich and interesting. I think that this is one of the greatest singles of the seventies. For me, her vocal interpretation is thrilling. I love that to my ear, she is able to so confidently control the pacing and emotive quality of this song. I think that she yeah, reinvents I'm not a hearing shitty, that at all. She reinvents a shitty Everly Brothers song as a country rock stomper. It reached number one on the country charts. It reached number two on the pop charts in an era when she was demonstrating that she could do anything. So one of the reasons I love Linda Ronstadt so much is that she has had country hits. She also did the trio album with Amy Lou Harris and Dolly Parton, which, oh my God, is so good. She has had new wave rock hits, which we'll get to in a minute. She was in a Broadway revival and subsequent film of Gilbert and Sullivan's The Pirates of Penzance. And maybe that is not where her voice sounded the strongest, but she was still pretty good. Certainly not where you're going to sell me on her interpretations. Oh, right. I but I mean, show. she did light operetta. And then she did American Songbook stuff in the early 80s with uh, the What's New album and a, a couple of albums after that with Nelson Riddle. She did uh, glurgy balladry, mm-hmm. like somewhere out there, and don't know much. But I just feel like she did an entire. Which I actually like uh, that song. <laughs> oh, I do too. I don't know much, but I know I love you. Oh my god, I love that. Actually, I also love somewhere out there. Who am I kidding? Yeah. And she had a whole series of albums that were in Spanish. Like I just think that to me, and those were great Linda too. Ronsets, Linda Ronsett's identity to me is that she has no fixed identity. It's that she has an incredibly beautiful textured instrument that she has the ability as a musical polymath to put into service in any genre. And well, uh, I, I think so... her understanding of all the different genres is both studied and felt. Uh, and I have a lot of respect and admiration for that whatever she's interpreting she has put herself in the middle of it and is is doing it with authority yes um i like what i don't know about her process is a lot but i think that it's very thorough and very uh intuitive but in this case i just don't i don't agree like this is someone who absolutely can sing a country song, and it's not like I'm insulted on behalf of the Everly Brothers. Whatever. Like, 
the song is just well, a little like hee ha. Like maybe the maybe it's the song, but her see I, interpretation yeah. I just think is that she's like no. I'm going to Linda Ronstadt this song, and the song's like I'm not going. The song doesn't quite allow it, and I feel like opinions, meanwhile that she they're different. I feel like that she I feel like that she finds the raw emotional excitement in a song that the Everly Brothers f- could find none of. In. Oh well, that was yeah. a terribly constructed sentence. But actually, before <laughs> we move on, I pulled Much a like clip. The song. Of- I pulled a clip of the Everly Brothers rendition, so which reached number eight on the pop charts uh, in America like 15 years before Linda Ronstadt's version. So let's just Here's quickly listen to a clip of that. whatever the opposite of a palate cleanser is. Uh. <laughs> oh, God. Hard to believe. (laughs) For what? I mean, all right. This one is an aural pork rind. This, this to me is I mean, the sonic it's not equivalent. Better. I'm not, I'm not trying Oof. to front. This is why I'm saying maybe it's the song, but ooh. This to me is the sonic equivalent of being pushed into your locker in middle school. Interesting. Your it's locker that's so full like, of chicken wings. <laughs> yeah, and pork rind. I said not it's- spicy. Ah. <laughs> Ow, Ow, mom! My, my underwear got pulled up again. Oh. This song is just, their version of this song <laughs> is just so limp and bland and stupid. And I honestly and find slow. Yeah, it's. I mean, uh, they're like corn pone ass accents. And I say this with someone who has loved a, a Hank Williams Jr. or a Hank Williams song, right? But for the Everly Brothers, their corn pone ass accents drive me crazy. I I, oh, 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 I, I I can't stand it. I mean, I so have a higher me, tolerance for that 50s, like, you know, <laughs> more like whiny don't nasal whop. shit. <laughs> but this is. No. We don't. I don't need this to hear that one either. Ever again. Wake up, little Susie. Oh, Jesus. I'm Kathy's clown. Shut the fuck up. So. <laughs> I will just say that to me, Linda Ronset also has performed a type of alchemy on this song. However, I fully accept that you and I will never agree, Mm. and that is fine. We will manage to continue to run this ship of state with grace and dignity. We we agree on the Everly Brothers, though. Yes, we sure do. Oh. And I know that I IM'd you about this, and I feel like all I do now is talk about this stereo gum column that I read. But the guy who writes that column, going through all of the number ones in American history chronologically, giving Mark each one a number. talk about stereo gum's number one column. That's fine. Exactly. So he was talking about the Linda Ronstadt version of this song because it peaked at number two behind behind Captain and Tennille's "Love Will Keep Us Together," mm. and he said. 
that Linda Ronstadt's version of this song on a scale of one to ten was for him an eight, but that the Everly Brothers version was a nine. And I was like, are you kidding me? No. <laughs> that guy's And dead you now, clearly are like... <laughs> <laughs> Mark bought a I, glove, went over to his house, and slapped him with it. <laughs> and that glove was filled with pork rinds. <laughs> <laughs> with buffalo sauce. But, you know, you brought up a point earlier that transitions us nicely to the next section of this uh, episode, which is that you felt that perhaps she was having both an intellectual and an emotional approach to the genres that she performed. And when she released in 1980 a new wave album called Mad Love, she was criticized heavily as having made an intellectual new wave album, whereas someone like uh, Blondie slash Debbie Harry or even Pat Benatar was able to find more raw feeling. Mm. And uh, the Mad Love album was was dismissed critically and, in fact, was received with such tepid emotion that it sort of pushed her into the trio of American songbook albums that she did next, which were huge hits. Now, the Mad Love album was not a failure by any means. It, it featured um, two top ten hits, one of them... Uh, a remake of the song Hurt So Bad, which is such a great song. And one of them, a song I had never heard until a few weeks ago, the number 10 peaking single, How Do I Make You, which is one of the rare Linda Ronstadt singles that was not a single by someone else first. Uh, it's Very few of her songs are not covers, but she, she's such a gifted singer that you forget sometimes that other versions even existed. But this is a song that reached number 10 in 1980, and interestingly, it was also the first chart hit for songwriter Billy Steinberg, who would go on to write every great song from the 80s sung by a woman. He wrote, um, he wrote I Drove All Night, Like a Virgin, uh, Time, uh, 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 Eternal Flame. Um, he wrote so many great uh, invincible by pat benatar like he is behind a lot of really great songs but this is a clip of linda ronstadt's how do i make you Now, Sarah, I don't know if you had heard this song before, but to me, I think this song is great. It's only like two minutes long, like I guess a lot of her songs. It's just all skittery, anxious rock energy. I love that she kind of caterwauls at places and kind of slips off tune a little bit because she's just feeling it. And I disagree with the critics who said that this was too studied. I think it's a jolt of really exciting energy, and I'm so glad to have heard it, albeit almost 40 years after it was originally released. 
I this is much more successful for me because she is singing it like not flat like off tune but just flat um Mm -hmm. because rock and roll is among its other qualities um not designed to hide uh vocal limitations but forgiving of lead singers who are mostly charisma and not (laughs) uniqueness nerve talent (laughs) Um, had had to be done um so i think that her she comes to meet the genre where it is and she's not trying to like bludgeon it with her instrument the way i i felt we don't agree she was doing in the previous track that we listened to um there is a bit in here which you didn't clip where she's doing this like shouting thing that seemed a little a little um not felt but this is like this is an this is an interesting case like i liked this song it's peppy um she clearly understands the genre and i i think this is a much more successful uh attempt on her part to sort of do something different and make the the difference as important as the her doing it part if that makes any sense um i thought this was good i feel like it does if i heard this and you were like who is this i don't think i would guess it was her yeah because she's not doing that lilting thing she usually does she's willing to step back more and i think that's part of what makes her um generally speaking her sense of when she's supposed to be in front of the song and when she's supposed to be in the song i think is the best like to you know top 10 all time and i think she's really smart about that stuff and it's a very you can really see that at work here i like this absolutely and i think that she was discombobulating for the critical community at this period because she refused to stay in her lane and this album i think startled people so much that they didn't know what to make of it. And I am glad that I heard it so far removed from the Cognoscenti's uh, um, interpretation of it because I really like it and I don't hear what they hear, obviously. I mean, I, I, can, see, I can see a critic like having difficulty climbing out of the lane where they expected to find her. Mm-hmm. But, you know... That's definitely one of those things that, like, whoever was reviewing it back then should probably have gone back to it, like, 10 years later and been like, hmm, you know, I was thrown off by this, but perhaps I was not fair to it. But then again, there there we go. Therein lies the danger of all criticism, because yeah. you can only write from the place that you're in. And, you know, it took me several years to get around to appreciating what Lady Gaga did on her album, Joanne, because the Star is Born soundtrack retrained my ear to what she can do Mm, and i now like songs from joanne that i didn't like when i first heard them so what can we can only live in the moment we're in that's true and i don't know if there's anything really of more to say about the thing i'm about to say but i find it fascinating that all the songs we're talking about today were produced for linda ronstadt by peter asher who also produced the in my tribe album that we just talked about huh well, um, perhaps the through line is that if something is like an interesting intellectual exercise, but not a good idea, he <laughs> won't stop it. <laughs> My baby brother, Jude. <laughs> you should expect me to. 
be annoying. I guess oh, at this never. time, Peter Peter Asher was going to take talented female singers at their word mm-hmm. when they said that they wanted to try things. And sometimes it worked really well. And sometimes it yeah, didn't. They're like, no, no, no. Trust me. It's a whole song about listening to opera next door to this guy whose pastry I stole. He's like, sure. <laughs> We're going to close the album then, with that. I don't know. All right. Okay. You're the boss. But then that worked out. Um, by the way, another thing that we, I feel like now have to talk about is that we learned via Facebook that you and your now friend, Mike, were at the very same performance of Verity Cries. Yes. Years before you knew each other. <laughs> yeah. Where I was like, yeah, she had to keep telling white hats in the crowd to shut the fuck up. And Mike's like, that was my friend. I'm like, uh-huh, your friend. It, it wasn't Mike. He wouldn't do that. Oh, but it's like mind blowing to me. Yeah. No, I mean, it actually makes perfect sense in the end. But yeah, that's that's kind of amazing. That's destiny, honey. We're just meant to find one another. Mm-hmm. Shows of the last. The last thing I wanted to bring up was the third single from the Mad Love album, which wasn't a big hit. And I think that was a mistake. And. We don't have to talk about it much. I just feel like that the world needs to be reminded that it exists. I want the listeners to be aware that they should track it down. Mm. This was a song originally released by the Hollies in the 60s called I Can't Let Go. But this is the Linda Ronstadt cover from the Mad Love album in 1980. Oh, I tried and I tried, but I can't say goodbye. I was interested in why you responded to this song uh, because I didn't, I didn't love it. I just, I feel like she needed another take on it. Mm. It just took a while to get going for me and then it never quite caught. And I'm a huge Hollies fan who historically has not cared for this song. So Mm. I like her version better, but I I don't know. I don't know what I would change exactly. But what did you what is it that speaks to you about this song? For whatever reason, it's the overlapping vocals in the pre-chorus that just yeah, knock those are, me the fuck those out. Are rad. The vocal arrangement in this song is so exciting to me and I love the way that it resolves with all of the tracks of Linda Ronstadt singing them the same note at the end. I just yeah. I find it so satisfying. I I'm not sure, like, I think it needs to be either a little bit faster or slower. Hmm. There's something well, about the, enough. there's something about the, um, tempo that's like, eh, like, to, you know, step on it. I don't know. Hmm. Well, listeners, I would be very interested, and I'm going to speak for Sarah and say we would be very interested to know what you think of Linda Ronstadt's new wave album, Mad Love, and all other linda ronstadt related topics thoughts ways and means uh even if they involve uh 
Russian mouse singing about his journey to America. That's fine. Yeah. Tell us what absolutely. you think. And I'm going to turn a uh, Mastess trope on its head right now. Uh, instead of suggesting that Alison Krauss cover oh. Linda Ronstadt, I'm going to say, I actually, I don't know for sure if this is a um, Alison Krauss original. I think it is. It's a song called Jubilee. And it was on, uh, it was like in the soundtrack of a documentary about children collecting paper clips to learn about the Holocaust. Oh, yeah. I saw that at a movie theater in New Haven when I was in graduate school. Yeah, I mean, it's like not important with a capital I, but it was a pleasant, like solidly built documentary. And then uh, that was sort of playing over the end, that song Jubilee. And I would like to hear Linda Ronstadt cover that. If only she were still able to sing, unfortunately. But her, uh, it's very sad that her Parkinson's has taken her ability to perform. But in the still working, though. perfect, in the perfect world, I wish that she could sing that song as well. Yeah. Maybe one day when and, we figure out how to do time travel. And they had all those paper clips in like a trailer behind their school yeah, or something, right? Yeah, because people were sending them yeah. from all over the world. Yeah, that was a good documentary. Yeah, it was cute. Yeah, well, films, music, we talk about it all here at Mastis. <laughs> Masti. Mark and Sarah talk about everything. Hey! Y'all, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, a.k.a. me, and Sarah D. Bunting. And it's edited by Sarah D. Bunting as well. Do you want to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at TalkSongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mastus.podcast. To become a supporter and producer of this podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastus, where you can get access to all kinds of cool bonus content and vote in our ranking episodes. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.